Welcome to the Gone Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Howell. And I'm your host, Angie Rogers-Howell. What is the Gone Boss Podcast? Well, it's a weekly podcast featuring awesome people in our community. We'll interview them, find out what makes them tick, the cool things they're doing to make our community a great place to live and work, and how they've gone boss. This week, we're brought to you by our premier sponsor, Schaefer Leadership Academy. Learn more at SchaeferLeadership.com. If you have a comment about the show or something you want to share with us, call or text 765-233-2640. That's 765-233-2640. We might just use it on the show. Who do we have on the show today? Today, we have psychologist Beth Trammell. We're supported today by our premier sponsor, Schaefer Leadership Academy. Learn more at SchaeferLeadership.com. What do they have coming up? A two-part virtual workshop. A two-parter. Two-parter. Overcoming imposter syndrome. Oh, this is right up your alley. It is right up You've my You've talked alley. about this many times over. I have. but I think Where you feel like a fake, but yeah. really, you're not. You're not. Yeah, sometimes I feel like, wait, I'm supposed to be the professional in the room, the grown-up in the room or whatever, but I feel like probably everybody feels like that at some point, right? Well, I think a lot of people feel like that because they have a two-part workshop about it. I know. It's going to be Wednesday, April 28th and Thursday, April 29th from 2 to 3.30 each day. Ooh, read that part right there. Have you ever felt like a professional fraud? Are you afraid others will see that you're faking it and aren't as smart or talented as you've led them to believe? Ding, ding, ding. Check, check, check. If so, you are one of the 70% of professionals who has experienced imposter syndrome. Now, what are they going to learn at this thing? They're going to learn how and why imposter feelings develop, the impact of imposter thoughts, new patterns of thought and behavior to help overcome imposter feelings, and strategies to mentor and coach others with imposter syndrome. Find out more at SchaeferLeadership.com. Today in the studio, we have psychologist Beth Trammell. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. What a fun day today. Yeah, absolutely. Now tell me everything you do. Oh, my gravy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a funny answer. Okay. So I, first and foremost, I am a psychologist. So I do a lot of consultation, a lot of training. Seems like I do a lot of things on social media or YouTube or podcasting, that sort of thing, trying to branch out and reach people in any way we can. Um, But I also am an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University East, where I'm the director of the Master's in Mental Health Counseling Program. I sort of do that full time. And then uh, all the other stuff that I do really is a way to just outreach to folks to increase their mental wellness. Well, tell us about mental health and wellness and everything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What? What? What do you see happening right now with the, with the pandemic ending? Where are people going to go? Man, I'm telling you, we are really and have been for the last year in a real crisis, not just physically with the pandemic, but even at the very beginning, my biggest concern, obviously, I'm very <laughs> narrow focused towards mental, mental wellness, but you know, the way that we have been kind of pushed to be far away from people when we tend to want to be huggers and lovers and we want to say hi to people and be close to them and this pandemic has been really hard for for a lot of folks both mentally and psychologically and really emotionally because we want to be around people that we love and so it's really hard to do that and so right now where we're at is a real need for quality mental health therapists because 
the need is so great. The waiting lists are really long. I have people reach out to me at least three or four times a week. Hey, do you see clients? Do you know someone who's seeing clients? Because the waiting list is, is long and it's important work. Yeah. And people don't realize how, how important it is. And when we've, I think we're all starting to realize that a little bit more now since we've been locked away and on Zoom for a year and everything. So now we're, I think people are hopefully starting to realize that a little bit more. Uh, I was just talking to our, my, our 17 year old the other day. Uh, we were getting him vaccinated and we were in this room at the hospital and there were several there were they had a lot of people in there and it was great because they are doing great work and they're clean and everybody's whatever but we were like what is this gonna be like once we're like normal quote back to normal and we like start going out places and seeing people and going to a concert like are we all gonna be like PTSD like have social anxiety and like not know what to do with ourselves when we see people and he was like yeah I think we probably will be I don't know (laughs) we'll see I think it is going to be a real shift again so it took us a while to shift from we're doing regular life and now we're in quarantine Mm -hmm. and then we were in quarantine and then it kind of got to be normal for us to be staying at home oh yeah and then now we're kind of like back and then we're not we're back and we're not So we've been in this state of uncertainty and lots of change. And I think it is going to be an equally as challenging adjustment, even though it's what we've been wanting for the last year to get, quote, back to normal, which doesn't even exist. We don't ever go back to normal. But anyway, so it's this idea of we're going to be adjusting again to this new normal now that we've had this lens of germs for the last year. Like, you're Jeremy, and you're Jeremy, and you're Jeremy, and now I can see your whole face, and that freaks me out. (laughs) Yeah. Because for the last year... I've only seen your eyes for the last year. Yeah. Right. And not only that, but, but seeing only your eyes has been a symbol of safety for me. Mm -hmm. Right? So I've had this illusion of safety when I look at you and I see your mask. And now when I see your whole face, my initial reaction is... Are you a safe person? Because now I am suddenly exposed to your germs, which we have been for all of yeah, for, <laughs> since forever. the beginning, yeah. right? <laughs> but I think that's also going to be an adjustment for us to get used to seeing each other again, being close to one another again, giving people hugs again, experiencing a sneeze in a closed room where you're like, Ugh. I'm picturing the particles. Yeah. We know all about the particles now. We like just pretended like they weren't there before, but now we we all know about it. All right, you two are freaking me out. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Isn't there a movie about that or something? I know, yeah. Contagion. Right, exactly. So I wanted to ask you, there is this deficit of healthcare wellness workers out there. What is the solution here? Gosh, it's such a good question. And we are, you know, in training programs, we're trying to train as many quality folks as possible. Um, And it's helping people realize, even policymakers realize the need for mental wellness. And so that might include giving additional days off from the workplace, right, in an effort to say your your mental health matters as much as your physical health. And so we need to make some policy, policy shifts uh, and in organizations where we're giving folks some more time off or we're being more flexible with things, particularly things that are most stressful. So right now, things that are very stressful are adjusting, particularly for parents who are in this, we're in virtual school and now we're not in virtual school and maybe we're going to be in virtual school in August. And so I think it's a reminder to leaders that mental wellness can't just be what we're talking about 
but we need to be seeing active policies that promote mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, I think that's great. And I think maybe we've figured out that some of our work can be done from home. So if you need a mental health day where maybe I don't need to come to the office, but I can still check my email or do whatever I need to, then I think that might be people are kind of realizing that we don't always have to do what we've always done just because we've done it that way forever. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's been a great shift because I have been working, uh, we used to call it row results only workplace environment. So you can come and go as you please, just as long as the work gets done, the emails get sent and all that kind of thing and changed my life for the past 10 years. And now I see all kinds of people that have to do that now. They've gone through it now and they really like it. Yeah. And I think we're, we're finding that there are some industries that it's actually better for our employees to be working at home. They're more productive at home. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some, some other industries where we're still going to see them coming together and coming together is going to make more sense. But I think you're absolutely right. It's not going to be what it used to be. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about your background. Have you always been from Muncie or where are you from? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Southern Indiana, close to Cincinnati. I am one of four and my mom is one of nine. And big so we family. have big, big family, big, big family from Southern Indiana. So uh, I moved to Muncie to go to Ball State, chirp, chirp, okay. and uh, in 99 and got all of my degrees at Ball State, actually. Okay. So professionally, I um, got my undergraduate degree in architecture, which almost always Interesting. Okay. <laughs> throws everyone off, almost always. Uh, and then I got my master's in counseling and my PhD in school psych. Now, now, what made that decision happen to go from architecture to psychology? Well, you know, the architecture program at Ball State was so rigorous, and it still is. I mean, an architecture program is you don't take many classes outside of your major. So I realized after my third year that I was like, oh, snap. This might not be <laughs> what I wanted. I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life. But at that point, it was my third year, and I was freshman status in terms of if I would have switched. Mm -hmm. So I would have essentially been starting all over, and I was like, I am definitely not going to do that. So I finished all of the requirements, and at that time, I started working in a private practice and realized that counseling was something I could do and get paid. was like, you get paid to listen to people? (laughs) And it's like, a good gig, huh? It's such a good gig. I mean, it's like counseling is so much of who I am, you know? It's, I like to listen to people. I like to analyze, like, how they're taking pieces of information and try to help them think through that information differently to improve their life. And so I met the director of the master's program at Ball State in the private practice where I worked, and she was like, you should be a counselor. And I was like, oh, I probably should. So that's how it started. Okay. Awesome. Now, what did you do after college? So then, so I graduated um, with my undergraduate degree, went right into starting my master's. And then I actually worked in Indianapolis in um, the Indianapolis Public Schools as a mental health therapist there for a couple of years. And then came back to school to finish my PhD and then started working at IU East where I still am. Do a lot of parenting classes, a lot of uh, workshops in the community. Try to get as much information to folks in as easily accessible way as we can. And you're kind of big into the parent mental health yeah. arena. She's so re- you wrote t- the book on it, wrote, right? Wrote a book. <laughs> 
it is so terrifying to say out loud that I wrote a book on parenting and I have four kids of my own. Because we go out to the grocery store and if people knew I wrote the book on parenting, they'd be like, for <laughs> real? Um, no, my kids are great, actually. But um, yeah, so my area of research and quote expertise, whatever that even means, uh, is parenting. And my focus is on behavioral and communication strategies. So I try to help folks make words matter for good. That's the name of my mm-hmm. book and my my website. My whole approach really is to focus on what are we saying and how is that impacting the people around us, including our kids. Mm-hmm. And so I think often we just forget how much our words matter, even though we know our words matter. It's like we don't pay attention after we have this conversation with our kid to their reaction, to their facial expression, mm-hmm. to their body shift. And that really is at the heart of how we build relationship and get our kids to do the things we need them to do. So tell us about your family. You mentioned four kids. Oh, boy. Yep. Four. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of kids. <laughs> it's a lot of kids. And in fact, you know, it's so funny. It feels like when I was pregnant with my first two kids, you know, people are like, oh, gosh, you're pregnant. Your first one. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. And you get to the third one and you see people at the store and they're like, is that your first one? No, it's my third. Oh, okay. And even then, like the third one, people are still like sort of okay with. But when you tell kids you're on your fourth, you tell people you're on yeah. your fourth kid, the then reaction. Like you're crazy. <laughs> it really is. It was such an interesting social experiment. So as a psychologist, I'm always like analyzing the world around me. I can't even turn it off. I wish I could. But people are like four. Mm-hmm. In this day and age? Come on. It was, the number of comments that were just so like, whew, it's crazy. So anyway, I have a 13-year-old daughter, daughter um, Maya. She's great. And um, Mason is 11. He's amazing. Adrian is seven. Uh, and Ari is five. And they're both amazing too. So awesome. we have a lot of activity. That sounds like it. Yeah. Three boys. <laughs> and Maya just... As the only girl, she really holds her own. So we love being outside. We love being active because if we're not active, then they climb the walls. <laughs> As someone <laughs> already know, yes. I know there are people listening that are like, I already oh, know yes, what's going to yes. happen if you yeah, don't. And keep I'm them looking active. at you. I'm going, oh, you're just getting into it because the teenage years are coming up. I know where everything goes crazy. Everything <laughs> is going to be crazy. Yeah. I just already know the food bill is shooting oh, through, it the goes through the roof. And it's just, yeah, Matt has four as well. We have, between the two of us, we have four. And so, but they're a little more spread out from there. They're 27 to seven. So, yeah. See, I almost feel like that's worse. <laughs> you know, having that much gap. <laughs> it's like, yeah. then you have like, oh, the needs are so right. different. We've got a oh, grown yeah. child and a first grader. So, yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a total shift in how you approach parenting. Mm hmm. Because even with your 27-year-old, you're still parenting. It's just not the same level of engagement. It's a, just a different level of engagement. Yeah, it's trying not to kill them. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> respecting their choices and their making decisions and being grown-ups and all of that. You're just learning how to support them yeah. in their yeah. decisions. Absolutely. And with a 17-year-old and all that good stuff. It's fabulous. So it's just different <laughs> on all the spectrum. So, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Great. We're fine. It's all fine. Yep. Yeah. So what do you guys like to do for fun? Yeah, so we travel um, when we can. Um, this year, we started this new challenge of seeing one state park every month. Okay. So we try to go hiking. We went sledding in Indianapolis at one of the state parks there. And so each month, we're trying to get to one state park, be outside, try to enjoy nature. We love going to the beach. 
Beach is a lot of free fun. That's what I say. You can just go park it at the beach. <laughs> For real. And when I like to walk in the woods, so. Uh, walking in the woods is great. See, both things are free fun for us, That's right? True. Hiking yeah. in the woods or going to the beach. And when you're a big family, you know. Yeah. It's like you can't really go to the amusement park all the time. Like, or yeah. you can't go to other places where it costs $40 or $70 oh. to get in. Yeah. You're getting that mouse charges much more than that. <laughs> That's true. Anya <Audio laughs> asked us the other day, when can we go to Disney World again? And we're like, oh, dude, that is like a once every 10 year opportunity. Like, exactly. if that. <laughs> and, you know, we went to Disney when uh, our kids were a little younger. I was pregnant with Ari at the time. Whose idea was that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I was like, I, and I was not just a little pregnant, you know, where you're yeah. feeling a little bit cute still, but I was like big pregnant. And um, the waddle. The waddle pregnant in the heat of Orlando. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not great. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so so the thing for me was it's so much more expensive. And then it was like the two boys didn't want to ride anything. They were like so afraid. <laughs> and so we just like sat at the rides while everybody else rode. And the boys and I sat. And then we moved to the next sitting position. We moved with this. <laughs> and then we got some peanut butter and jelly out and some cheese crackers. And then... We got up and we moved to the next one. So yeah. so you just pay a lot of money to move and sit. Right. I'm like, let's just go to a park. Yeah. They're just as happy at a playground. So let's just find free fun. Oh, we found out that uh, they're just as happy with a box. Oh, yeah. Oh. A box. Audia's favorite toy right now is it's a, a box. box. It's a box. <laughs> Which is great. But get all these all these toys that you haven't played with in forever. But we'll play with the box. It's great. <laughs> Isn't it maddening? I mean, the number of cabinets that I have filled with toys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you're going to play with my, the box. All right. Awesome. Oh, 3,000. I know. What are we great. doing? <laughs> what are we doing? What's something you had wished you'd known when you were first starting out? I wish I would have known how hard the balance is between being a mom and an entrepreneur and a visioner because there is always more work to be done. There will always be more work than I'll be able to fit in in a day. And my kids need me more than any of those things. And so I think as I think back to realizing maybe if I had a a narrower vision, maybe I wouldn't feel as compelled to like expand to be, well, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to do YouTube videos and I'm going to do write a book and I'm going to have a blog and It's like, no, I'm just going to do one thing, even though, I I mean, I'm just laughing at myself as I'm saying this out loud because I know that that's impossible for me. That's just not ever going to be the way I, (laughs) the way I work. But the idea of of finding balance has been hard and I think it probably continues to be hard. Yeah. And we found that too. Definitely hard for everybody. for, For everybody. But yeah, we are like, we have to have five different things going at the same time. And if we don't, we are not sure what we to actually, do with ourselves. We actually have high anxiety if there's not enough things in the fire because it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? What's the what's the alternative to being busy? So Yeah. So yeah. when this pandemic first started and we all <laughs> shut down and we were like, wait, we are all at home together with not, I mean, we still had stuff to do because there's always something else to do with the kids or the farm or the whatever and stuff. But like, we were like, wait. Our hair is not no, on fire. What do we do? It's a shift. So now we're shifting back. And I'm terrible at that too. My husband more often than not will say to me, sit down somewhere. Like I just don't, I don't sit well. I don't pause well. I don't Sabbath well. I, it, I have to really intentionally force myself to do those things because I am a worker bee. Well, tell me about some of these things that you've been doing. Number one, the podcast. 
So tell us about that. So I started a podcast, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, and uh, partnered with The Y initially, The Y here in Muncie. I am on the board at The Y. And so we were talking about creative ways to get information out to to parents and families. And so the podcast is called Kids These Days, Tools for Supporting Children's Mental Health. And we really tackle just about any kind of kid problem or parent problem. Or I try to offer a variety of topics from mental health to teen stuff to toddler stuff, kind of across the whole gamut. And I tend to pick topics that come from, you know, conversations I have with other people or emails that I get from folks saying, hey, can you address social anxiety in teens? Great. Excellent. So it's just another way to reach folks, um, knowing that podcasting is something that people are into. Now, these YouTube videos, you partnered up with someone. So tell me about those. Oh, my gosh. So my good friend and colleague, Deborah Miller, she works at IU East with me. She's another psychologist. And she and I were talking about how to provide outreach for college students. So we're a small campus in Richmond, Indiana. So we're, you know, we don't have all of these brilliant multi-million dollar facility resources for our students in mental health. And so we were often approached by first year seminar uh, class instructors to provide some resources for first year students. And so semester after semester, we'd get this list of questions on note cards. So the students would write their question on a note card and Beth and Deb would um, answer these questions. And we found that a lot of the times they were similar questions. And so what we ended up doing is creating the Beth and Deb show. So the Beth and Deb show is on YouTube and essentially we aim to provide outreach, mental health information to students. So at the you know, upper high school, college, early adulthood level, we approach topics in a pretty genuine and, um, I don't know, sometimes we laugh most of the time, (laughs) trying to make it as real as possible. Because I think sometimes you get information on a webinar or from a psychologist or a website, and it's like, okay, but what's the real deal here? And so we're trying to take like a real deal approach to a variety of different topics. So I'm on Facebook a lot and I see everybody talking about self-care. Mm. So tell me about that. Why is that so popular right now? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I should not have the reaction I do to that word self-care, but I have such a strong negative reaction to the word self-care by itself, mostly because we have this, this misconception about what self-care is. We think all sorts of wrong things. First, we think self-care is selfish. We think we, you know, we don't deserve it. Or we think self-care is Netflixing for six hours in the, you know, evening and not doing anything else worthwhile. And so we have all these misconceptions and people use this word self-care as sort of an excuse to just do all sorts of unhealthy things. (laughs) (laughs) Which is sort of the opposite of what self-care is. So for me, it's really trying to find the space for mental wellness. And for some of us, that means exercising. For some of us, that means calling a friend and having a good conversation with a friend. Some of us, it does mean sitting at home and, you know, turning on some music and jamming out. Some of us, it's a bath, whatever it is. But for me, it's realizing what it is that energizes you after that. I went to a conference, um, back when conferences existed, but um, (laughs) uh, this was, I think that 
was during the pandemic, though. We went to a conference, a leadership conference, and one of the the speakers was talking about how self-care, well, he didn't use the word self-care, but he was talking about how when we are looking to reduce the risk of burnout, we really got to focus on spending 20% of our week on things that invigorate us. So the word invigorate by itself in the middle is the word vigor, which means strength. So we're looking for things that strengthen us. And so when I challenge folks to think about this, how are you spending your week? Many of us are not spending 20% of our week on things that invigorate us. In fact, the, the conversations I've had with folks over the last year have been, Beth, I don't even know what invigorates me. So how do I even start adding 20% of my week to include that? So it really is taking a, a step back to realize, what is it that brings me strength? What is it that invigorates me? And then how can I be intentional about weaving that in every day? Maybe it's on a Friday if you can't take every day to do that. Maybe it's, you know, you take your whole weekend, you have really strong boundaries and you're doing invigorating things. But it starts with realizing what is it that brings me strength. And ironically, I'll share mine. I realized that what brings me strength is projects. I love like a good project around the house. I love a good project like a craft or something like that. And I feel so accomplished when I've like repainted my dining room table or something. It's like, look what I did. I'm so awesome. That makes my heart so happy. So it's finding those things that, um, yeah, matter to you. Excellent. I, I also like a good project and like a sense of accomplishment. And then I walk around the house and I'm like, look, family, look what I did. Please admire my handiwork. And nobody gets as much excitement out of it as I do, but that's okay. <laughs> Matt, note to self. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and now it's time for the lightning round. Quick questions and quick answers. Number one question. What's your favorite band or artist? Mm, I don't have one, but 90s R&B. Okay. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> I also agree. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Early bird. Okay. What's your favorite book? Anything David Baldacci or Kristen Hanna or Ellen Heldeberg. Okay. Got a few choices there. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met anyone famous? When I was in college, I went to Miami and I met Joey from Full House. Okay. Oh. I'm not sure he's famous. I think he's famous. He's famous enough for me. <laughs> He counts. Now, Joey, was he the one with the puppets? Yeah. Yeah, I think Uncle so. Joey. Okay. He was Dave, the one with the backpack. Yeah. Okay. Dave yeah. Coulier. Alanis Morissette wrote a whole song about him. What song was that? You Ought to Know. Really? Yes. Did not know that. I didn't know that either. Oh. But we were in a bar and he had a backpack. <laughs> there you go. Which was kind of was awkward. Was Alanis Morissette over on the speakers? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What's your guilty pleasure? Soft pretzels with cheese. Okay. Man, she... You, you are, are like, lightning round. You said good, fast answers. I'm not job. good at fast answers, and so I'm doing my best. Good. You're doing excellent. What's your favorite movie? Frequency. Why? Um, because it makes you think about things. Now, that's the one where he talks into the radio back yes. in time? Yes. Is that Jodie Foster? I remember that. I really like that's it. I like the Bourne movie. series, too. I like Jason Bourne. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. That's good, too. What's your hidden talent? I thought about this one ahead of time. Cooking doesn't really count. I cook every day. Sewing. Okay. I was going to say juggling all these projects. I think that a lot too. of projects. <laughs> Do you sing in the shower? Definitely. Okay. And the car? Totally. With the 90s rap? Definitely. <laughs> I like it. Star Wars or Star Trek? Neither. Oh. Perfect. Good answer. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible answer. What's your most used emoji on your phone? Laugh out loud. All right. Perfect. Is that an emoji or is that just the LOL? Yeah, it's the one where it's like crying, crying. the crying, okay. laughing, the face. crying laughing face. Okay, okay. Gotcha. we'll give you that one. That mm-hmm. one's good. 
Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. Really appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having me. So much fun. No problem. Thanks for stopping by the farmhouse. Bye. The other day I came home and you and Holden are on the couch and you're watching this show. Mm -hmm. I sat down in between you and was amazed by the show that you were watching. Amazed and also grossed out. (laughs) But I was also pulled right into it. It was a really good show. It is riveting. It's so good. (laughs) And it's called? It's called Alone and it's on Netflix, I believe. Now this is one of those wilderness challenge survival shows shows. yes Yes. so they the one where they have like six seasons i think right now the one we're watching season six so it's um the most extreme alone ever most extreme yes so they are in the arctic circle so you can see like the northern lights the aurora borealis uh during their footage and stuff like that and their footage is is them meaning they were given some gopros and some sd cards and they have a 65 pound box of camera gear in addition to what they take but they take that with them and it's not like you know some of them it's like naked and afraid they drop you off here and you have to like meet with your team and then survive together or whatever this is not like that it's kind of like naked and afraid but with clothes and alone by yourself and in the arctic and i hope the you have arctic some clothes circle, let's hope <laughs> you have some clothes on so they you're by yourself there's 10 people in different parts of this wilderness or wherever and they're all by themselves with their gopros and their cameras uh and all that and they, they, they have got to, to survive 10 things right yes not not including like a first aid kit and stuff like that but they got to take like a pot or a knife some fishing hooks yeah, whatever their like 10 that. things are that they decide they're going to take, that's what they take. So, like, one dude is like, I am a master fire starter. I do not need, I don't need to bring my little flint thingy or whatever. There's a name for it. The fire starter stick thing. Um, see, this is why I would not be on alone because I don't know <laughs> what those things are called. So, he's like, I'm not going to take it. So, I can make it by just rubbing sticks together and stuff. And, of course, the first three days he's out there, he does not it's have... It's wet. He can't make a fire. He can't make a fire. And he's life. like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I can't make a fire. <laughs> like, okay, whatever, dude. Now, when I sat down, uh, this gentleman had a bow and arrow, and he was uh, foraging for food, like <laughs> trying to find squirrels and things like that. He was about three days in, just starving to death. So he went up to the uh, uh, the shore of the river or whatever was there, the waterway, and uh, he started... You know, stabbing this bush. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, ah, muskrat. And my son Holden's like, you're crazy. That's, that's not, that's a, not muskrat. a muskrat. That's a duck or something like that. And sure enough, he pulls out a muskrat, char broils that thing. And eats it. And eats it. But right then... in front of you on camera. Two hours later. So sick. So sick. Took him out of the game. He had to tap out. So the, <laughs> the, the goal of this game is, I think, whoever lasts the longest or something, the last man last person standing wins because there's yeah there's women there's women there's men there's old people and young people and another one we watched this guy was walking along with his gopro he's going down to fish or something slips on the rocks boom done breaks his his leg (laughs) his legs just busted then they have like a walkie-talkie that i think they can they check into base camp and stuff like that so i don't think they're like completely alone for like nine months or something but yeah somebody I mean, has to come by and bring new batteries and new right, sd cards right. but they have to like equipment. make their own shelter and catch their own food and if they get a cut one girl accidentally stabbed herself with her spear <laughs> in her leg Ugh, it was gnarly looking well tell us about the rabbit <sighs> 
gross. Okay, so this show. Th- this one made her stomach churn. This one is not. The show is not for squeamish people. <laughs> um, and so, especially animal lovers. If it, you like animals, uh, yeah, no, you're probably don't not watch gonna this like show. this show. Um, but they're all at one with nature and whatever <laughs> as they eat them and whatever. So anyway, this one guy caught a rabbit. Yeah. Great. He was going to skin it and cook it and eat it. But okay. it was regular. A, yeah. It was a mama rabbit, apparently, a female oh, no. rabbit, and it had milk in its glands. And so he slices this rabbit open and he's like, oh, yeah, this has milk. And he drinks the milk straight out of oh. the rabbit. And me and Holden, we were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> So That's if you the get, grossest thing I've ever seen. So if you get a chance and you're not too squeamish and you enjoy that type of thing, it will draw you in. It will draw you in. It has it brought will keep our, you entertained. Yeah. It's brought our entire family together. We watch even Audia. She loves to watch it too. Now, if you get grossed out by seeing like them skin uh, an animal, an of animal any of any, all kinds of animals, don't watch it because it's gross but it shows the resiliency of people and what people can persevere if they put their minds to it and it also proves how much i would never last i would last you're, you're not going to send your demo tape into it no absolutely not i would not last one minute out there <laughs> now your brother-in-law did that one time didn't he well he sent a demo tape to uh survivor, survivor. yes and it was very funny and this was a long time ago it, it was, was about over 10 years ago at least so. at least probably longer than that but it was really funny you detective and sluice you can find it on youtube i think somewhere maybe it might still be out there i think it probably is anyway it's funny watch alone it's the show that brings the family together thanks for joining us for this episode of gone boss be sure to check us out at goneboss.com or hashtag gone boss we're on instagram at gone boss 2k or find us on facebook just by searching gone boss if you have a comment about the show or something you want to share with us call or text 765-233-2640 that's 765-233-2640 we might just use it on the show if you like what you heard today be sure to rate review and subscribe wherever you find your podcast today's episode was brought to you by our premier sponsor schaefer leadership academy check them out at schaeferleadership.com have a great rest of your day and don't forget to tune in next week and find out who has gone, gone boss, boss.